welcome. This is episode 291 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined uh, once again by Paul, and this time in uh, the outskirts of Detroit. Ryan, <laughs> how's it going? Um, I am in a Fairfield by Marriott in Livonia, Michigan. Ooh, and Livonia. That is exact- yeah, that's exactly as exciting as it sounds. If you could see this right now, Ryan looks like he's uh, being interrogated as a hostage. He looks like right he's now. hiding in a closet from a horror movie monster. That's what he looks like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's live from the Bates Motel right Did now. Did you guys go yes. out in Detroit at all, out of curiosity? No, no? so okay. this has been pretty much just uh, we've come to town and we've had long extended meals with various relatives, okay. both of my uh, wife's parents are from detroit originally oh okay i didn't and this was there they came out here and they actually came for a family gathering that was supposed to be tomorrow but one of the prominent people featured at that family gathering died last week oh so they're actually going to a funeral on wednesday and stay an extra day okay all right so i I believe the i believe the person was in their 90s so it's hard to hear that but yeah so it's uh it's been an interesting trip, but uh, it's been good to see a lot of relatives that uh, they haven't been here since COVID. So yeah. uh, getting to see relatives. So okay. good for that. But we haven't really done much. I was trying to talk them into going to Ann Arbor tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. Always a good idea. Ann Arbor rules. It's great. I do like, right. you know, as people who listen know, I used to live in Detroit because I used to live everywhere in the Midwest. And <laughs> Um, Detroit, I did not have a great time in Detroit, but a lot of that was, um, related to my job, not the city itself. And while Detroit's, um, reputation is well-earned, it's kind of still fun to go out in the city because if you do go out in the city, you always feel cool because everywhere to go out in Detroit is a cool place that you have to hear about on the side that is not by anything else. And that like, is just popped up by some intrepid entrepreneurs who found a cool old house or a cool old trailer and decided to just open a random thing in it because that's one thing you can do in Detroit because there's no rules and real estate costs $5 and like it, it, it makes for a kind of at least a cool, like very free open scene of stuff to do. So I'll give it that. But Ryan didn't awesome. do any of that. So let's no, 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 <laughs> not this time. I've had outings in the city before and uh, have actually been to a couple of really cool soccer bars yep. in the area, but have not this trip. Well, you'll have to add that to your bucket list then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul, h- how's your holiday weekend been so far? Uh, yeah, it's all right. It's we, we saw some friends, which was fun. It rained all day today. I went and saw the Super Mario Brothers movie, and uh, it's, it's fine. It's as good as you can make it. That's my review of it. Uh, you couldn't make a better Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, you couldn't definitely make a worse one because they did uh, already. And <laughs> I was gonna say, just get Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. That movie is amazingly bad in, in uh, all the best ways possible. So uh, it was fine for a ki- you know. I t- obviously took my kids to it. That's not obvious. I post a Nintendo cartridge every day. I, <laughs> I was gonna I, ask I, if you took the. Kids. I did yeah. take my kids to it. <laughs> it. It's it's full of fun Easter eggs and stuff like that. So it, it's fine. It, it's totally. Uh, Nintendo definitely had some oversight on it. Did a fine job. It, it was good. I I give it a recommend if you have kids to take, but I wouldn't go see it as a grown up, even if you like Nintendo a lot. All right, noted. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, uh, lots to get to. A lot of questions this week. 
uh, related to the Brewers as they uh, get a little bit closer to the All-Star break and survive the dreaded July series in Pittsburgh. But uh, first, before we get to all those questions, a reminder, you can help support us. Become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month guarantees you get your questions answered both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible. Five bucks gets you that question priority plus some additional exclusive content, which will come in handy this week uh, because Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire over on the minor league extra side will be previewing this year's MLB draft. And, uh, you know, the Brewers are in a position they haven't been in a while here, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, this is their best situation that they've had since the Keston Hero draft, which is in 2017. Uh, And that's because they have the 12th most slot money to spend. And that's a combination of picking 18th, which is, I think they picked Bryce Terang, I think 18th. So they've been up this high in this time period. But what they haven't had is the comp A pick, which they have picked 33 as well, which comes with a higher amount of slot. So between 18, 33, 54, and 87, that's what's getting them most of their slot money and their 12th. So they should have a little bit of wiggle room And last year, we saw them really kind of for the first time play some games, not extreme, not the way some teams have, but they played some games so that uh, they they got uh, um, Eric Brown to agree to a well below slot deal in the first round. And then we're able to go get Jacob Mizorowski for well over slot in the second round. Oh, is he he any good? Jacob Mizorowski? Yes. Yeah. Uh Yeah. He's a. he is quickly becoming a thing. So uh, I know he's uh, popped on Baseball America's top 100. I think he popped onto the back of Pipeline's top 100 now as well. So yep. he's quickly becoming a thing. Um, but yeah, they are, they're in pretty good shape. And this will be interesting to see how they want to proceed. Uh, and this is a weird draft because, and I, I need to talk to James more about this because he's done the in-depth research. This has the rep of being the best draft since 2011. People are kind of bringing that up. But I'm not sure if that's more because the top end looks really, really good. Everybody really talks about this being, there are five guys at the top of this draft that are big time. Um, There's the two college bats um, and then uh, their skeins. So, and then you also have two high school hitters of repute. And then I guess there's kind of a hard line drawn after five. And so we'll talk more about that. I want to get into that and see, like, does this mean that the talent at 18 is going to be better than it generally would be? Or is it not quite that clear cut? Um, Because 2011 was a really deep draft. There were a lot of good players that went kind of throughout the first round. Unfortunately, the Brewers took uh, Taylor Youngman and Jed Bradley. So that didn't work out great for them. But uh yeah, this is this does look like a pretty good draft. So I'm curious to get James' take on you know what the Brewers might do. And those of you who've been with us a while here, you know that James last year he called the Brewers taking Eric Brown Jr. He did. Yeah, yeah totally he did. forgot about yep. that. Yep. Yep, he had that, and uh, he said he thought there was a real good chance that he was going to end up going there, and lo and behold, he did. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to him trying to repeat his trick this year, see if he'll even want to take a stab at it. But uh, the Brewers do have a type when it comes to the draft these days. So there's a there's a good chance he can zero in on somebody that's at least a likely candidate. For sure. I 
I'm sad you referenced the 2011 draft because I'm still upset that they didn't take Sonny Gray. He was my guy that year, and he would have been awesome. And yeah, uh, Brewers with two of the rare busts in that first round. Even CJ Crowd would have been fine. God, I'm pissed. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's not relitigate that. Nope. <laughs> um, so yeah, be on the lookout for that uh, draft preview for sure. Definitely worth the five bucks a month over at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate to go sign up. All right. As I mentioned on the big league side, the Brewers escaped their usual cursed July series in Pittsburgh with the series win capped off a seven and three road trip. It's actually the second time that they've done that this year. They've had two three city road trips so far this year, and they've gone seven and three both times, Heck which yeah. is actually pretty impressive. Yeah, they've got one more left coming up in August, but now they're heading home to wrap up the pre-All-Star break schedule. Four games against the Cubs, three against the Reds. They actually hit that halfway point in this season this past Thursday in Pittsburgh, though. So I guess let's just take this opportunity to kind of uh, recap, you know, our, our thoughts on the team in the first half and kind of look back at what we thought they would be when we were doing our season preview series. So I guess, um, first of all, Paul, how are we feeling about our preseason expectations, AKA premeditated resentments, as we say here, halfway through the year. <laughs> so pretty good about the brewers. Um, like I think they're, they're pretty much what, at least I thought they would be, which uh, as Ryan is quick to point out, pretty good on offense last year. I thought they'd be worse this year, and they're worse this year at offense, but they're good at run prevention. Their defense is good. Their pitching has been a little disappointing starting-wise, but really it's that's not even true. It's just that their, their starting pitching is fine, just not in the way you expected it to be. Like, didn't expect that Wade Miley and Julio Teheran and Colin Ray would be carrying the team at this point, but they are, but... So the Brewers are like a 500 team. It's overachieving a little bit, and that's typically what they are. Uh, I do feel bad about the entire rest of the Central, though, or I feel like I at least I was just completely wrong because St. Louis is not doing devil magic. They suck horribly. And uh, Cincinnati, like I think I made fun of them for their stupid owner and their lack of talent, and they brought up Ellie, and they've been good enough, and uh, they're tied with us in first. So the rest of the, the, the league I was completely wrong about. But the Brewers, I mean, this is this is pretty much what they are. They're well-managed and they um, get the most out of what they have and they're sometimes fun and often sometimes when they're losing very boring but this is what they are so I think we're, we're pretty dead on on the Brewers just the rest of the division is a little different than I would have expected personally yeah I don't even think it's that bad though because like if you were to just say swap out where Cincinnati is for where St. Louis well, is well yeah but there's only five be... teams <laughs> like the... right no but I mean ultimately if you were to do that then it would look pretty similar to what you thought which yes, was fine. there's a lot of teams that are kind of mediocre right in between uh i guess it would be yeah like 70 75 and like 85 wins we kind of thought that four of the five teams had a good shot of ending up between 75 and 85 wins yes, right all true yes correct and so except we we thought it was going to be the cardinals in that group instead of the reds the reds are the surprise but other than that it's really not too bad. Um, it's a weird team. I, I think I said this week on Twitter that I don't think this is a good team, but at a certain point when you keep banking wins that the way that they have, um, whether or not you're good or bad matters less and less. And what just matters is where you are in the standings and you know what that can look like because when it comes time for the playoffs, it's just really very much crapshoot. So... I'm not particularly 
I, I guess, like surprised at where everything is. It's just, it's played out differently than I thought it was going to. The offense has been even worse than I, I was worried coming into the season that the <laughs> offense was going to take a step back and it's been even worse. Yep. It's been rough. And the, and the, the pitching has not been good because of Burns, Woodruff and Peralta. It's been good in spite of that, yeah, really. It, which is insane. Like very, very yeah. unexpected. Um, I, I do, this was not a prediction at all, but it's maybe something we should have seen, like with the young guys and and Terang's back. But with Weimer and Terang added, that they might be able to get more mileage out of sort of the back end of the rotation than than we expected, and we maybe should have seen it coming for like Hauser, who is that kind of pitcher. Mm-hmm. But it, there's no reason it couldn't translate to Wade Miley. And uh, we didn't know. Oh, maybe you knew Colin Ray before the season started. No, I certainly I did not. Okay, but um, I think maybe the lesson here is when they when they brought Miley back, we maybe should have taken a little bit deeper look in how is this going to play with the run prevention that they're they have with the young guys, and um, it's it's been great. It's been fantastic. They've they're making ground ball pitchers and contact pitchers work where other teams can't because they're just so good at putting balls into play, turning balls into play into outs. So. Um, I think that was it was hard to predict, but you know the one thing that I think we all should remember about the Brewers is that fundamentally they do know what they're doing. They're an advanced team. They have good models. They know how things interact. And when they make moves, uh, yes, they are not like going to throw billions of dollars out there. But when they sign guys, it's for a reason, and it is because it plays into their models properly. And that's why Colin Ray showed up because. The, the defense behind him, math showed, would work, and it has. So um, it, it's it's a bit of a surprise, but it's also not that much of a surprise. They they do have an understanding of how their team works, and that's the best thing about the Brewers. A lot of teams don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. I think that's part of the problem in St. Louis. Well, and there's also something here where I don't know if you guys have gotten to the last episode of Effectively Wild from the week yet, but I did on the drive over, and I immediately was like, oh, look, I'm going to need to come back to this because they talked about players who are underperforming and overperforming their projections. And the Brewers are all over the underperforms list. Yeah, um, yeah, they are. Yep. Rowdy was 12th. Winker was 18th. Urias was 19th. Woodruff was 27th. And Burns was 33rd. All of those guys. So on the list of people who are underperforming their projections to date, and I believe this was using Fangraph's war, uh yeah it it, not good and only on the plus side uh they had two guys in the top 50 and that was weimer at 17 and owen miller at 25 yeah i was surprised that miley i guess miley because of the limited innings uh teheran and uh and ray none of them jumped on there because obviously i don't think much would have been expected but then I went and looked at their their war, and the war isn't outstanding from them, especially Fangraphs war, because it doesn't necessarily buy into them being as good as they had been. So I sort of looked at this and said, to me, this implies there's room to grow yeah. for them. There's there's room for them to move up. Will they? Are guys going to figure it out? Are people going to be better? It's impossible to really say. But I think you can point to and say there's legitimate room for growth here from some of their star players. And if they can get something approaching star level performance out of some star players in the second half, then I think they can become more of a legitimately good team as opposed to 
a team where you look at it and you go, I'm not quite sure how they're six games over 500 right now. <laughs> Which is what they are. I think the baseball fan in me is very very negative on that. Like that they are not good at training offensive players and that Telt, Rowdy Telez and Willie Adamas uh, and some of the other struggling guys are a result of that. But that's not a good sound way of looking at things. Um, Willie Adamas has a ton, like his barrels compared to his performance doesn't make sense. He's very likely to regress upward even if it's not to an all-star player he's likely mm-hmm. to be an average bad and that would be a huge increase in his production and the same is true of Telez, who like i i i'm not i'm not a big fan of rowdy Telez. generally he's he is spaghetti Never to me yeah, but i yeah. think he's a 100 ops guy not an 80 or ops plus guy not a not an 86 ops plus guy um and there's a lot of that in here even winker like who by the way for the last week and a half or so has actually been quite good and you know had a legitimate reason to struggle early with the neck and crap like that, he might come <laughs> back too. So I think there are actually a lot of good reasons to be optimistic for the second half, that they have players who are definitely underperforming what their true talent level is, and if that does click into place, and they can keep either getting the same pitching performances they have been, or it just flips, and you start getting the performances you expect out of Peralta and Burns, and, you know, the, the contact guys take a step back. That wouldn't be that surprising. You, you might have something here. Like, it could actually be a pretty good team in a crappy division with some upside in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. uh, I think there's good reason to think that. And there was a little bit of bad news with Woodruff. I haven't heard an update, but they did back off of him. He wasn't having shoulder issues, but something with his recovery from his last bullpen – uh, he wasn't recovering as quickly as they wanted him to, so they backed off of it. Um, but they were quick to say it wasn't the shoulder. So hopefully right. uh, it's not a big deal and they just move right back forward with it. But uh, we've we've been down that road before and we've heard that before. <laughs> so you have to be a little bit cautious of that. But still, yep. hopefully, you know, Woodruff is also sitting out there and Actually, um, Justin Wilson is currently rehabbing and could be a help in the bullpen um, coming up. But we have bullpen discussion questions later, so I'll leave that for then. But uh, (laughs) um, one last thing I did want to point out is, um, and this probably took a big hit this week. I don't have the up-to-date numbers in front of me. Um, The Brewers, when we we were having our great debate in the middle of the week, those of you who follow us on Twitter know there was a a big... uh, uh, win probability added discussion that was spurred by by why didn't elon limit tweets before you guys went at that we're probably the cause of it we probably drove the server charges through the roof um but kurt hogue pointed out that uh jesse winker led all brewers hitters in win probability added which is basically just a a stat that measures uh when a guy comes up to bat versus when they are done with their at bat how much does the win probability for the team change and it's a it's a way of measuring things. Um, and Jesse Winker happened to lead, even though so his it's numbers a, are awful. It's a clutch stat, and clutch. It, so it's not predictive. We'll, we'll go with the stuff we all agree on. When WPA mm-hmm. is not predictive, if a guy has a high one, it will not continue. But it is explanatory. It tells you what did happen. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Winker happened to get all of his hits in high leverage situations. That's what happened. So right, yes, and. The point, and I wasn't even bringing it up for like the debate that we had. Yeah. It was when I was digging through those numbers, what I saw was that their win probability added as an offense is about what you would expect. It's yes. they're like 
they were basically right in line when probability was, but you know where it was an outlier in the bullpen. They were going before Friday happened. They were leading baseball in win probability added in the bullpen. And I actually comped it to the last seven years under the Brewers <laughs> and they were like third already and when probability added is a cumulative stat yes so the fact is. that halfway through a season they were already at five wins added in the bullpen was pretty outlierish and i think uh well obviously they took a big hit on friday night yeah. so that came down but i think you can make the case that like the bullpen has been a little bit over its skis in terms of um locking down so many close games we saw that all week this week where it was like one game after another after another after another of them locking down these close wins except that yeah. one except well, except the one that's why they lost that games. one yeah right they had that's... nobody alive to pitch yes yeah right um but i i do have to say that like that is the area of the team that i expect the most regression in the second half negatively uh i think that they can kind of with the, the pitching performance that they've gotten, they can kind of pick up from what they've gotten in the starting rotation. They can get guys who have been when, when Taheran and Miley and um, Ray go through their inevitable downs that they're going to be going through yeah. Burns, Peralta, Woodruff, hopefully can pick them up offense. I think we've talked about a lot. There's a lot of room for growth there, Yeah, but the bullpen feels like an area where they're probably not going to be as good at locking down leads late. I think that's true. As they have been. I agree with that. Like nobody, most of the main bullpen players, they don't have terrible fips at all. They're, they're all pretty good. They're like mid threes mm -hmm. and most of their ERAs are like mid twos. And that's, mm -hmm. they're not going to be horrible, but you're right that they've protected far more leads than you would expect them to protect based on, well, just reasonable pitching expectations more than anything. It's a good bullpen. Mm -hmm. It's just not this good because no bullpen is this good. I, that's exactly it. So let's go on because we've got a lot of questions yeah. and I want to hit this from a we different do. angle too. Yeah. So We do. And this will play into the trade deadline discussion that we'll have a little bit later too. Uh, but first, we got to talk All-Star break stuff. So, of course, the full list of All-Star selections or at least – the preliminary list of all-star selections before all the substitutions come in came out on Sunday. And as of now, Devin Williams is the only brewer to be named as an all-star. Christian Yelich got passed up for Juan Soto, Nick Castellanos, and Lori Goriel Jr. on the NL roster. So, Paul, sure. did Yelich get snubbed? I mean, a little bit, but it's not a big deal. Like, it, it's not like Yelich is like an overwhelming all-star by any stretch of the imagination. Should he should he have made it? Probably yes. Um, part of that is he is still one of the best defenders in left field, which is again like being the best pull fighter in Alaska. Like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter that, that that's yeah. the case. But uh, but yes, he was he was snubbed. Yes, that's correct. But it, it it's not a huge deal. Um, it's it's within the margin of error for for outfielders for left fielders. So, yeah, you want to complain about it, go nuts. Nobody will hear you because it's on Twitter and you can only six, see 600 tweets a day. But, uh, um, yeah, it, it, he snubbed, but not a big snub. This is not a huge deal. Yeah, I, I stopped getting upset about All-Star stuff for yeah. the most part, like, a long time ago. And I don't need another thing to get upset no, about. No, absolutely so not. So, it just, like, it. he will probably end up on the team. 
unless he tells them, hey, guys, don't put me on because I want to go on vacation. So, and that would be perfectly legitimate if he just said, yeah. I don't I don't need to go. Let some young guy go who's going to appreciate it also, more than me. I think this is a Keith Law thing, and if it's not, I apologize. But um, it makes the point frequently that this is this shouldn't actually be a half year stat or mm-hmm. metric. It like the the last All Star game was played midway through the last season, and we've had that much data to ascertain who should make the next All Star game. And Christian Yelich was crap for that part part of the season. So um, there's that too. You know, he's had a nice couple months, but we have more data since the last All Star game to go on o- over that. So it's not a great complaint for him. Yeah, no, that's exactly a Keith Law point, and I. I I don't really care enough to like get into a heated thing about it. I it doesn't I don't I don't care. No, it who doesn't matter for it. Brian Laherman, the All Star team, who gives a shit? Right, exactly. It's <laughs> that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So let's just move on. <laughs> All right. Well, Christian Yelich may not be All Star quality, at least according to you guys. But my only lemonade <laughs> has a different question <laughs> oh, here. Boy. Uh, my only lemonade asking on Patreon, uh, Yelich is one of only three players in MLB to have a WRC plus greater than 120 and a BSR, uh, base runs on fan graphs greater than four. The other two players are Ronald Acuna Jr. And Corbin Carroll. Is it fair despite the past two years, Paul, to call Yelich <laughs> underrated? Uh, I think, uh, um, Technically, yes, which is the best kind of correct. So, um, <laughs> but you know, again, he's been back slash good for like two months, and we shouldn't be fooled by that. So, yeah, the season's three months long. He's been really good for two of them, and he's been he's been really good. Like Yelich has been a huge asset. The Brewers wouldn't be contending without him. So, yeah, he's underrated right now. But like, let's see a year of it before we start making big proclamations about things right now. He's, I would say, um, you know, like, uh, uh, on speculatively underrated, like that, that's all he is right now. Hopefully Perfect. he keeps it up. Yeah. Yeah. Speculatively underrated. He is trending in the direction of being a very underrated player Yep. and we will see where that goes. But yes, I don't want to get burned for the millionth time on Christian Yellick is Yelich is back stuff. And by the way, his, uh, launch angle has been trending downward. Now he's been, oh, he's been no. he's been beating the absolute absolute crap out of the ball. His barrels are way up, uh, the highest they've been since the COVID season, um, and and so he is hitting the ball hard more than ever, line driving it. But he has been. I pay attention to this every week when we start the podcast. James reads the intro. As soon as James reads the intro, I pull up Savant for Christian Yelich and I look at it, and <laughs> he's he, he's down two. I Toss yeah. to you for the weekly yellow show. He's down two degrees though, yeah. of launch angle over the last month, which is a lot. <laughs> so, sure. uh, so keep that in mind. But the pa- like the 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 amount that he is barreling the ball has not changed. It's still very very high. So that's good. Getting him into the uh, home run derby just to fix his swing that way. <laughs> I don't know. Just throw more chaos into that. Yes, that's a good idea. I, I'm I'm in favor of it, but you know, if he went in the tank, then it would be like, oh, remember when they ruined him in the home run derby? So th- there's that. All right, uh, let's move on. More Patreon questions this week because we got a ton. Lucroy suitcase asking about that pirate series. Why do the Brewers always seem to have a terrible series right before the All Star break in Pittsburgh? 
Uh, obviously, that changed by the time uh, or after Lucrezia Case sent that question. But Riot actually dug into the numbers yeah. on this. So is it as bad as it feels every July, Ryan? Well, no, it isn't. But I want to first point out here that uh, I was at a concert on Thursday night. I was at Green Sky Bluegrass at Summerfest. And as soon as the Brewers won that game uh, on Thursday against the Mets, I was like, oh, they're going to Pittsburgh next. And it's the last road trip before the All-Star break. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I think I tweeted something out about it. And I immediately got 10 replies of furries um, from everybody. (laughs) Shouts to everybody who tweeted furries at me because that was also a thing this weekend. Oh, yeah. It's furry time. Yeah, yep. Andrew McCutcheon made the tweet. It get, was great. Get yep. to hear my re- get to hear my relatives talk about the non nonsense story again when I see them next. Excellent. Woo-hoo. Oh, for, yeah, great. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I I so I made the joke too, and then I was thinking on Friday, wait, how true actually is it? So I I went back to 2018. 2018 is the genesis of all of this, and that is the horrible five game sweep, the last five before the All Star break in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um because there was a rain out also from before that they were making up. And that was the Sunday game where they lost in a walk-off because the umpires... It was monsooning. They refused to mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. yeah. And they refused yep. to stop. Yep. They're like, we're getting out of here. We're all going on. Uh, we're all headed to the All-Star break. We're not banging this game. We're not delaying it. You're just going to have to play through it. And the Brewers definitely lost that game uh, because of that. Like, that was... It was uh, Corey Knable, I believe, was on the mound. It, like, definitely... Um, and then in 2019, again, they were in Pittsburgh the last series before the break, and they lost three of four in that one. Um, obviously, 2020, we forget it existed. Um, we'll erase that from the memory bank. There was no all-star break. Uh, 2021, they actually had in their last road trip wrapped up in Pittsburgh uh, July 1st through 4th, but they won three out of four that time. And that completely was memory hold. I did not remember that whatsoever that they had done that. And so I was like, oh, uh, okay. And then in 2022, their last road trip before the Ulster break, once again, July 1st to 3rd, ended in Pittsburgh, and they won two of three. However, their last series before the break was also against Pittsburgh, but it was at home. And in that game, they lost, or that series, sorry, they lost two of three. So... It's been more of a mixed bag lately, but basically since the pandemic, their Pittsburgh right before the All-Star break stuff has not been bad. It's been a mixed bag to pretty decent. Um, So mostly it's the PTSD from 2018 and 2019 (laughs) that has us here for just, you know. So we know that for the future. We don't have to worry about this in the future, but somebody at MLB definitely knows that this is a thing. (laughs) <laughs> they definitely are scheduling this on purpose because we've ended up wrapping up the last four years that there has been an all-star break or sorry, the last five years that there's been an all-star break. Uh, they have played their last series on the road in Pittsburgh. Okay. Sometimes it's the last series overall. Yeah. Yeah. So, but somebody work. knows this and is doing this. This is intentional. So for me, this goes back to 2004 because I'm old. Oh, 
um, when the, I don't know if it's going to the all-star break, but going to the middle of the season, uh, both teams were abysmal because it was 2004 and, and Pittsburgh included. And I remember this because they had Craig Wilson at first base who I had in fantasy a lot, who was c- kind of like the rowdy Telez of 2004. Um, okay. and, uh, Going going into like July Fourth weekend into Game eighty one, um, they played a series in Milwaukee and the Pirates swept them with a run differential of uh, thirty two to eight, <laughs> and Craig Wilson went like Yeesh. Craig Wilson went like eight for fourteen with three home runs or something like that. So like I always remember that like a bad Pirates team just beating the bejesus out of my bad Brewers team. And it's it seemed to continue ever since then for me. But it's, again, as Ryan said, it's not true. No matter how far you go back at all, it's just you remember the bad stuff, which is a good example of what this is. It's just me having a random pirate on my team, so it sticks in my head that they got destroyed. <laughs> like, but that that's not true. Right before that series, the Brewers won like a whole bunch of games in a row. <laughs> so, um, what are you gonna do? That's just how it is. Stuff stuff gets in your brain and becomes true, even if it's not. Um, and there was one other thing too. I was thinking about. Uh, do you remember the Brewers had like a twenty-game winning streak at Miller Park against the Pirates right. in like yeah. two thousand, maybe it's like two thousand eleven-ish that era, two thousand eight, two thousand eleven, somewhere in that neighborhood. Because all it the Pirates people, run, yeah. Well, they all called Miller Park the House of Horrors yeah. to this day. Yep. Like everybody still is terrified of of coming there. And the Brewers have largely whooped up on the Pirates in the, I guess, the Mark Antonazio era. Um, for want of a better term, because like since since that uh, class of Weeks, Fielder, Braun, that whole group came up uh, against the Pirates, they have to have a pretty overwhelmingly positive record. Yeah, in that, I would think so in that era. So, yeah, but conversely, I feel like everything always goes wrong at PNC Park. Maybe because I'm used to the Brewers beating up on the Pirates in Milwaukee, so then it's like everything goes in the reverse in Pittsburgh, yeah. but uh, man, I, I'm glad we have the numbers to back that up. Um, so LaCroix suitcase actually followed up that question saying, forgot, forget that question. Glad the Brewers <laughs> broke the Pittsburgh nightmare series streak. <laughs> I instead will ask uh, Paul, since you uh, brought up Rowdy Telez, how long will the Brewers stick with Rowdy? I love him as a big dude who looks like the average Brewers fan, but there has to be an upgrade over a 680 OPS, right? So, they will probably stick with him for a while because while he's been bad and while he offers nothing on defense, um, he hasn't been bad for that long and there's no heir apparent for first base on the team. But first base is also a place where they love to throw spaghetti. Like there have been just a jillion first basemen on this team over the last 10 years. Just just a huge number of them. And so if they add a random power bat who can't play in the field or two or three as the trade line deadline approaches, that it would be totally expected. And if that guy gets hot, then Rowdy's seat will also get hot because, again, Rowdy is just spaghetti. And if different spaghetti sticks better, he will be gone pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, and we already know that some of the various spaghetti that could have replaced him, your... Uh, yeah, they've done this. <laughs> Luke Voigt. The, the Luke, the Luke Voigt's <laughs> of the world. The, Singleton, yeah. Yeah, the, these guys were potential replacements for Rowdy, and they've been worse than Rowdy. Yes. So, like, there's that... Uh, just a quick look at the rest of season projections for Rowdy Telez. Um, Zips has him putting up a, oops, I'm in the wrong spot here. Zips has him putting up a 106 WRC plus the rest of the year. Steamer has him putting up a 111. Um, 
and then just kind of looking down to FGDC 108 and then the bat is at like 114 so I mean really here everybody is expecting him to have a pretty significant bounce back and get back to sort of where he was in the 2022 season over the second half of the season that doesn't mean it'll happen but I think it's a fairly reasonable expectation yep. but yes it is as we get to the deadline a potential area of upgrade if he doesn't start to get hot and start a, to kind of figure it out a little bit but I think that if this team is going to hit their top end of what they are capable of, Rowdy's going to need to be part of that and get hot down the stretch and be good. And we've seen him do that. So we, we know what that looks like. And um, the, the main concern that I have is that his strikeout rate this year is up. He actually wasn't, he was below the league average in 2022. Uh, he was a 20.2% uh, strikeout rate. Um, he was at 20% even in 2021 and then you go back to 2020 and it was 15%. Um, this year it's bounced up to 23.4 and that is a bit concerning, but he is still taking his walks. His walk rate is just down slightly from last year, but 9.6%. Um, so I don't think things are terrible there. And we have seen him hit for power this year, right? I mean, he has 12 home runs. Yeah. I think he still leads the team, doesn't he? Uh, he's uh, up there. Yeah. It, it was all April though, right? April, May. Yeah. Uh, he got off to a, sl I remember like the first week or two of the season, he was pretty bad. And then he got really hot at the end of April and into May. And he hasn't homered since. He, do he does, by the <laughs> way, still lead the team. Yeah. He is tied with Willie, but he does still lead the team. Okay. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I think that chances are good. They're going to need for them to be successful this year. They're going to need Rowdy to be better. But they could look at potentially bringing in some replacements uh, at the trade deadline should that sort of still stick out as a need. All right, moving on. Adam Post has one last Pirates question <laughs> Thank this God. week asking, <laughs> uh, does Andrew McCutcheon hate the Brewers? Uh, I, I don't think personally, <laughs> but I do know for a fact he has homered against the Brewers more frequently than any other major league team. So uh, I guess, Ryan, let's start with you on this one. Does Andrew McCutcheon hate the Brewers? Well, I was actually just going to look up those numbers. So he leads, <laughs> um, he says more home runs against the Brewers than any other team. Yes. So of his, and I don't think reference is updated through Sunday, but Probably he has 297 career home runs. 37 are against the Brewers. Next highest is Cincinnati at 34 and then the Cubs at 28. Uh, OPS is a little bit different, a little bit lower OPS, but he has a career 868 OPS against the Brewers. Yeah, coming into today and looking at how he does against other teams in the division, um, Cubs 867. Yep. So the Reds 836, a little bit worse, but kind of in that same uh, general area against the Cardinals. That would be a big one to check. Uh, 738. So that one's, he definitely has been at his worst against the Cardinals over time, which you know, the Cardinals have been the best team in the division over the course of his career. So that would make sense that he would have that. Um, just looking real quick at how he's done at our ballpark. And that would be um, 840 OPS. So nothing. You know what's annoying? You know what's annoying about baseball reference? That's always been annoying about baseball reference? That they don't have a singles column. 
that uh, you, ah. to, to get to singles, just you have to take hits hit. and subtract. Oh. And mm-hmm. it's annoying because I was just trying to figure out why on earth does he have the same OPS against the Cubs and the Brewers because he has more home runs against the Brewers and he has more uh, – oh, he does not have more doubles, sorry. So extra base hits there, but it's not that big of a difference. But singles, a lot of, a lot of singles against the Cubs. So, oh, oh, and he struck out way more times against uh, against the Cubs than the Brewers. So singles are the difference there. But annoying. They should have a singles column. I always have to do math when I do spreadsheets, and it's annoying every time. I'm going to email Sean Foreman as soon as I'm done with this podcast. <laughs> Great you see your Sunday night. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on. So Price Trozen is asking uh, about the bullpen. So as we kind of talked about, they, they've been excellent in these uh, close and late situations, showing signs of cracking uh, in Pittsburgh at least. But part of that was due to, you know, how they – basically use their a bullpen every night in new york so price trozen is asking with the bullpen regulars getting extended work with the close games and the relief relievers not performing well or getting dfa'd uh do you think they'll let abner uribe take a stab at the majors or would this be a possible momentum killer for him facing big league hitters at this point so Ryan, uh, let's start with you. You know, he's he's up at AAA now. Seems like prime to show up in the majors at some point, but is it too early? Um, this is a tough one because there's no position where I think it's more just about like how good is your raw stuff, how how rawly talented are you, as uh what plays in the bullpen. It works in the bullpen if you do that thing. So. I am going to say right away, I would not be shocked if it happened really at any time from now on. That said, I'm not expecting it to happen right away because I do think they're going to want to give him a little bit more run. Um, And here's the thing to really note so far. Yes, he has four and two thirds innings coming into Sunday. He had four and two thirds innings at AAA and he had a 193 ERA. So he'd allowed the one um, earned run and he'd only allowed one hit over that time. That's all very good. He has nine strikeouts. That's outstanding. Nine strikeouts over four and two-thirds innings. Uh, That is incredible. That's getting two-thirds of your outs as uh, strikeouts, better than two-thirds of your outs as strikeouts. That's really quite good. On the downside of this, um, he also at this point has six walks in four and two-thirds innings. That's not going to Right. And big league hitters are going to be even better at spotting that right away and saying, this guy can't hit the zone. We need to not give, we need to not swing. And so relievers can get away with spotty command in a way that starters just can't. But I think there is some refining work that needs to happen here before he would get called up. Um, I saw some people pointing to him when the frustrations on Friday night mounted about well they could have called up Uribe because he's on the 40 and look at that he just had this good outing in triple a um no (laughs) no 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 that's not how any of this works at all uh that Friday night thing we haven't really talked about that but that situation was so bizarre because not only had your best five relievers in the bullpen all but basically were unavailable because they had pitched they had been in these close games four of the last five days, right? And they had won close games four of the last five days. Not only that, 
but they had just sent Peter Strzelecki and Trevor McGill out. Yeah. They hadn't done their 10 days yet. So they couldn't be called back up. And frankly, both of those guys have been kind of spotty at best. Like they're right. not, they're not yeah. big shutdown guys. Nope. And the other thing that had happened, they were playing with a seven man bullpen instead of their normal eight man bullpen because of this run of 17 straight days with games. They moved Adrian Hauser into the rotation. And so they were down a man in the bullpen to start with. And I think if you look at it historically, the Brewers under Stearns, Arnold, Council have always rotated relievers as needed, right? It, we we joke about this, that you never know what the ro- uh, roster is until you turn on the game that night because things just are always changing. They're always putting guys on flights and bumping them around and whatever. And this was just a situation where because of the churn that they were in, because of the situation they'd gotten themselves into, they just didn't really have better options. Um, somebody suggested Eric Lauer, I saw. Eric Lauer hasn't pitched since uh, June 12th. He's on some sort of inactive list right now. I don't even know what's going on with Eric Lauer. Something <laughs> he, He's on like a mental break or something from the game. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. But like, yeah, you could have called up Abner Uribe. Yeah, you could have called up, uh, I don't know, uh, Well, and. What Tyson it, Miller. What it but, ended up being was uh, Matt Bush's last stand. It, it was we mm-hmm. we have this yeah. guy. He we've seen him have good stuff. This is this is it. Use him here. See if he gets out of it. And you know he just he couldn't. He's on the team. He can't. If he's on the team, you got to use him. And um, everybody else was dead. This is when you got to use him. And you know the, the proof's in the pudding here. He uh, he's really quite bad in some amazing ways. And he's gone, um, but that's why you know he, guys are on the team because they think there's something there. If the coaching staff can't get out stuff out of him, or if they think he's hopeless, you move on and you test him when people are tired. That's what happens. Yeah, and this situation is one that comes up for most teams at some point in the season when the bullpen is just in a bad way. Yeah, and remember also MLB has limited the amount you can shuttle guys to and from AAA. Yep. So the team right. has to be cautious of that too. You can't brewer so, so, this as much as you used to be able to. Right. They, they, they do a pretty good job of this. They almost got away with it. Um, yeah. Thomas Pannon threw like three awesome poor, innings. Poor Thomas Pannon getting sent, yeah. getting DFA today. Like I actually feel bad for him. He, he pitched well. There's, none of this is his fault at all. Well, he did give up a run or two. We, he? Yes, he but did he, at the end, but that was the third inning. He was he was, he was on his second time through yeah. the order as a reliever who just got called up. Okay, no, that you absolutely fair to point that out. I wasn't watching, so I didn't see it. But like, I just knew the situation. I actually kept pointing my phone at Steve. Gershinsky, we were at a concert together. I kept pointing my phone at him and going, apparently this Thomas Pannon guy is still pitching. (laughs) (laughs) How and why? We we figured it out. Like Nobody else is available. It's got to be just nobody else is there to be able to be used. That's that's it. it. It's a tough situation, but it's also... In Especially in this case, you got in this situation because you won four of five close games. Yeah. And... People always say, well, let's just worry about winning today and get to tomorrow when we get to tomorrow. And actually, that's sort of been the Brewers mantra for the entire era. Well, the part that people don't often think about with that is the bill comes due eventually. And the bill came (laughs) due for the Brewers on Friday. They had been doing that. Let's worry about today, win what we can, and 
then at, at that point they had basically just run out of guys yep. and so they had to they had to do what they had to do and it was ugly and for those of you that were watching i'm sorry it, it was probably very painful but also the reasons for it were mostly good reasons yeah the consequences were were earned here and that's that's what happens they they won they ran out of gas and honestly it almost worked anyway like uh, mm -hmm. garbage pitchers almost got them out of it because they had a big enough lead it just sometimes that doesn't work you, you get a guy in there who can't get guys out um but yeah the, the, the bill comes due ryan's right you, you you do you should play to win today's game that's the one in front of you that you have the most information about but you know the next game might not lend itself to that and this one did not um also i want to i want to mention real quick i called matt bush the anti-jesse winker on twitter earlier and i had people yell at me but uh I, 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 he has in total thrown 33 thir yeah 33 innings for the brewers and he has a negative 2.1 wpa uh which is <laughs> uh, honestly incredible uh, almost unbelievably bad. So yeah, mm -hmm. he's he's earned his not being on the team more than anybody else has. Well, and yeah. as I pointed out on Twitter, um, enjoy the barbecue in Kansas City, and we look forward to your 1.27 ERA in the second half <laughs> because that's just baseball and that's relievers. He's going to end up back on the Rangers at some point. It'll be fine. The <laughs> Royals will trade him there too, like Chapman. All yeah. right. Uh, Bob Peterson, another bullpen question, uh, asking who's next in the Brewers bullpen, small Uribe or other Ryan. And then question number two, now that the baseball project has a new album out, would you Woo. consider changing the MKE tailgate theme song? If so, I would suggest the yips or the all or nothing. <laughs> so Ryan, first of all, it, in this bullpen churn, who is next small Uribe or the field? Uh, definitely the field. It's really the correct answer is Strzelecki and McGill are going to be back up relatively soon in this whole shuffle that they do. Um, I'm looking up Ethan Small's number right now. Um, we can talk a little bit about the baseball project thing while I'm doing that because the the minor league uh, webpage is really uh, to pull up the individual numbers and game logs. It's slow. So it's going to take a bit. Um, but part of the reason we picked that song, Steve picked that song when we started the podcast was because it was whatever, uh, public domain yeah, was freely it's, available. It's, it's public domain available. Yes. They made it available, which is good of them. Right. And so we, anything we would pick would also need to be that. So if we make a change, I'm going to need to make sure that it is that. I don't want to hear any reporting is eligible people throw this back at me. None of you are allowed to. <laughs> Paul does a great job picking the reporting as eligible songs every week. There's even a Spotify playlist, isn't there? Yes. So every yeah. time we add, every time we have a new uh, clip of music that's intro and outro music, we add it to the Spotify playlist. So you can always see all of the reporting as eligible music there. Um, we should talk about the baseball project once in a while, though, because I, I feel mm -hmm. like um, normal people don't know what they are, and even most baseball fans don't know what they are. But I like supergroups. Supergroups are fun, and they are one. They have half of REM, which is like sometimes oh, you can wow. sometimes you can see half of REM play at like Shank Hall, which is really good to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if Shank <laughs> Hall exists anymore. I just had no, to it does. All right, I'm there frequently, Paul. <laughs> okay, uh, 
So, like, like, the Baseball Project is a five-member band that has other people sit in, other famous musicians sit in occasionally on other songs that just write a song about baseball, and they're all in great bands. Um, I, I don't know all of them, but Mike Mills and Peter Buck are the two I do know who are both REM musicians, and, like, they put all Baseball Project albums are very good, um, and you hear the one on our podcast a lot, but, like... All of their albums are worth listening to. They're all really, really good albums. And, and they're kind of novelty because of what they do. But they're genu- genuinely good like rock songs, like folky kind of rock songs. All, like pretty much all of them. Um, so to get back to the question about Ethan Small here. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. That's why we're doing it. It's good. It's all good. Um, the Ethan Small thing. Uh, he has not pitched since June 22nd. He's on the seven-day injured list right now. And uh, he has a 675 year in June. So if that answers your questions, um, more power to you. Uh, that's why we haven't seen him. He has five strikeouts and four walks in six he's innings bad. in the month of June. He's so, bad. I'm, and he's I'm hurt. Ready to write him off. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's bad he's, and hurt. He's bad and hurt. So, though, never ever write off lefties who can get guys to swing and miss because eventually i feel like ethan swell is going to figure this out to a point where he can at least be a solid left-handed uh guy out of the bullpen for teams and kick around and have a career for a while i think he'll figure it out to a, a certain level but yeah the the high upside of ethan small that ship seems mostly to have sailed though pitchers are weird so who they knows? are uh, by yeah. the way, the baseball project is playing Turner Hall on August 28th in Milwaukee, if that is where you are. There you go. And if, you are, ah. if you're down by me, they're playing at Space on August 27th, and Space Space is an amazing place to see a show, so do that. And if you're in Michigan, they're playing the Bell's Beer Garden in Kalamazoo, which is also an amazing place to see a show. So you got lots of good options in the Midwest. Um, All and, right. Yeah, go do those. I am going to have to figure out uh, how we're going to make that Turner Hall show work. Is that a weekend at night, or is that a weekday night? I I don't know why they don't put that information on tour date websites, <laughs> but they have not done so here. I just have the date. August 28th is unfortunately a Monday night. Ah, so that's going to make it trickier to, to do, but got uh, nothing else going on. It's fine. Just head down. Now, to, oh, the, that's uh back to school shoot, the, the space show. The space show on, uh, on the 27th is sold out. So boo. Oh, well. So, at any rate, uh, yeah, it's going to be guys you've already seen for the most part. It also, I talked about Justin Wilson before. Justin Wilson is coming back from Tommy John surgery. The Brewers signed him specifically to be a guy that they could potentially put into their bullpen this time of year. And he's working his way back. I think it's still going to be a bit, but that could happen. And then the trade deadline, guys, because they're going to make moves at the trade deadline. So let's go to they that. Could- they could even trade uh, for, for Trevor Rus- Rosenthal again. We'll see that happen. Sure could. Right. Uh, Jay Google asking, uh, do the Brewers maybe have to consider a piggyback for Freddie Peralta's starts? Just has struggled with command. So, Paul, I know you've talked about Freddie a lot recently, and it's this kind of who Freddie is, right? Like you could get an excellent start or you could get a three inning done. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to plan for that. I'm not sure if piggybacking helps him too much because it doesn't address the underlying problem of Freddie keeping it together. And um, I think you just have to kind of work through this because he has been rough and there's been more bad than good this year. His, his ERA is rough and it matches his underlying peripheral stats, which is unfortunate, but like, you don't want to play the platoon game with him too much, I don't think. 
Um, you, I think there's a good chance he'll just regress and find his command and be good for the rest of the season. And, and I think that's what you want to do. If you end up doing that kind of game with him where you, you partner him up with somebody, then you have one less pitcher to use out of the bullpen. Like you have a guy who has to be designated for that role once every five days or whatever. And, th- and that hurts you too. Uh, the other thing about Freddie is like his platoon splits aren't that bad. They're, they're not, they're not great, but they're, they're actually like kind of okay. So you're usually going to do that. If like, if lefties were beating the bejesus out of Freddie, that would be fine. Um, they're not, he, he's a brewer. So of course, he has rever- <laughs> he has reverse platoon splits. <laughs> uh, righties yeah. righties have a seven ninety seven against him uh, OPS, and lefties have a seven eighteen against him, which is ridiculous and not anything like what Freddie has historically done. But this is the Brewer, so here we are. So yeah, that doesn't help at all. So don't do that. Just let him work through it. He'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about doing a piggyback is really more when you're talking about a guy that's going to go like three maybe four innings and Freddie is a five to six inning pitcher at this point. He's only been under five innings once this year. And that was where he got his head handed to him in that loss to the giants where every, you know, that was the Willie Adamas got maimed game. So other than that, he's gone five minimum in every single start this year. And that sort of gets you to the point where piggybacking is no longer really a thing because now you're getting into the bullpen proper at that point. Like you piggyback because you're really don't think the guy can go more than like 60, 70 pitches and you're never going to get more than like three, maybe four out of the guy. And that's not Freddie. Isn't that bad, like as bad and as disappointing as the season has been, he hasn't been that bad. I think some of it is just like the expectations of things um, have you know, we, we expect more out of him. And so, but I, ever since that, that start in uh, the end of May where he got his head handed to him by the giants uh, and his year, jumped to 464. It's basically stayed in the four between 455 and 467 for that entire time period. He's just kind of existing. And at this point, I guess you would say his performance is kind of just like standard fourth starter stuff. And that's not bad. It's just disappointing because we've seen and know he can be better than that, right? So I think it's some of its expectations and some of it is just like, um, there's only so much you can do uh, in this day and age in terms of piggybacking. Because if you're going to do piggybacking, that does eliminate using a six starter. And I think they're going to be six startering here at least through the break yeah. because of the no days off thing. So it they're already sort of pressed and MLB is doing more and more to make it harder and harder for teams to do stuff like creative with their pitchers. So yeah, I think it's pretty much a non-starter. Absolutely. Uh, let's turn to trade deadline talk now. So PJ Wessels asking, first of all, what will be the first position acquired in a trade this July? Paul, is it middle you, reliever? You know the answer. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's middle reliever. Yeah, not middle. It's just relief pitcher. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not there's not enough of a designate other than closer, which Devin Williams is. It's just relief pitcher. That's the role that's on the team. So that'll be it. That's what they do. It, like odds on favorite is always shoring up the bullpen for them. Uh, you can get guys 
with flaws who throw hard that they can fix. There's lots of them out there. There's lots of availability. That's going to be it. In terms of position player, maybe they'll throw a, a dart at a first baseman DH, you know, outfielder type. But it's relief pitcher. If you're betting on this, it's that with a bullet. Not, it's not nothing else is close. Yep, nothing else is close. The only other thing it potentially could be is if the right bat became available at the right price and they just said, okay, we, we want to do this, especially if it was a right-handed bat who hit left-handed pitching and it came available, that would be the only way it's not a relief pitcher. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's too bad the Brewers aren't interested in those types of players. No, it, so, it is. Yeah, it'll be a relief pitcher. <laughs> All right. Uh, Logan Inderdahl asking, uh, there was an MLB Trade Rumors article speculating about the return of Major Leaguer for Major Leaguer trades. It was put into the context of the Astros outfield. But do you have any ideas for the Brewers to take advantage of the returns of those types of trades? Uh, Ryan, how about you? Yeah, I wanted to throw this one to you guys because it popped into my head, I think, uh, midweek. And I didn't say anything about it because it's just so insane. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about <laughs> the idea of would and should the Padres trade Juan Soto for pitching? Oh, boy. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> sure. Corbin yeah. for Juan. Let's go. Yeah. Right. Corbin plus probably something for Juan Soto. And I, I immediately got super intrigued by the idea. And I'm like, yep. well, that's really interesting, isn't it? So what do you think of that? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, it's <laughs> speculatively speaking, I see how you think the Brewers would match up with that. Absolutely 100%. But if that happens, I uh, like I will eat something in my basement. It doesn't matter what it is. They're all gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but He's you would around, yeah. Hold on, you would happily do it, right? Oh, you of course. Would throw... Okay, yes. okay. That's that's what I thought. I think most people um, would probably happily do that deal. Juan Soto has had a nice bounce back. He actually was pretty below his standards for quite a while, and not just last year after he went to San Diego, but also to start this year. But he got yeah. hot, I think, in May and yeah. has sort of returned to. He's an all star. Um, and it would it would be fascinating. I think it would be fascinating. You'd have to move him back to right field, uh, which is not he's better in left because he's not that good an outfielder. So, but yeah, it's kind of and he's uh, for those that don't know, him and Burns are on the same exact uh, free agency schedule. Yep. Both are due to be free agents after next year. So the trade is like it doesn't hurt you future wise at all. It is just trading weakness for strength in both aspects. So it, it's smart. And the other thing that it would do is I believe Juan Soto is making like 25 million this year where Burns is only making like 11 million. And that would be if the Padres are in fact in dire financial straits, which the rumors have started to swirl that they are not happy with financially where they're at. Of course they're not. Um, well, they got really hurt by Bally too. So yep, that was, did. yeah. Though, I heard a thing. They were talking about it uh, on one of the podcasts I listened to. Who knows what it was anymore, but somebody credible um, said that they were guaranteed by MLB at least 80% of their revenue from Bally's. So MLB said they would guarantee up to 80%. So uh, I think they had a $75 million a year contract. So 80% of that is what, about $60 million? So at most, the Bally's thing is hurting them by about $15 million. So it's probably not crushing them this year. Future, probably yes. 
but for this year, probably not terrible. But it was intriguing anyway. I thought about it and I'm like, man, that would do a lot. Think about Juan Soto in the middle of the lineup and how instantly better you would feel about you know everybody <laughs> yes. else around him. That would be a huge improvement. It would be great. Yes. We should make that happen. <laughs> yes. If you if you know how to do that, Paul, if you can uh, get a hold of the right people and broker that deal, I'm all for it. I'll see what I can do. That's... I mean, I, I'll use the same thing I used to fix Yelich. So, yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to need to download OOTP uh, to make that happen, <laughs> probably. All right. Uh, Steve Romanesco asking... Uh, about a recent interview Matt Arnold actually did with Adam McKelvey, which is really interesting. If you haven't read that already, uh, check it out. Uh, I think it's actually part of Adam's newsletter that they posted on the site. But regardless, uh, Steve's question here, reading between the lines on Matt Arnold's answers, I should say, to Adam McKelvey's questions Friday morning seemed uh, pretty much means the plan is to do nothing at the deadline, right? So... Uh, here's the the main quote from Matt Arnold. I'll read it here saying, uh, quote, look, we want to be competitive here in 2023. We feel like we have a good team in place. We will be opportunistic to try to improve this team where we can responsibly. But ultimately, I think we have a lot of good players here and even others coming back off the IL, led by somebody like Brandon Woodruff, who is a really exciting player to add as a deadline act addition Aaron Ashby I think there's a chance that he comes back later this season Justin Wilson is throwing the ball really well right now Tyrone Taylor isn't that far off so just more guys coming back I think those could also be quality additions to a team that we certainly already believe in so uh a lot to kind of go over there but the use of responsibly kind of made it sound like they won't trade any top prospects Ryan, and he flat out said he wouldn't trade Willie Adamas or Corbin Burns in another answer. So a definitive answer there. They're not trading Corbin Burns or Willie Adamas. So uh, I, I guess like Steve says, Ryan, reading between the lines sounds like uh, nothing to get too excited about this trade deadline season. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's going to be uh, probably them adding around the fringes of the roster the way that they do. And I would not expect them to give up top prospects. And they really shouldn't. To chase this particular chance <laughs> with a roster that's kind of meh, um, you know, like it could end up working out. This could go well for them. But I think that they want to mostly keep their powder dry and not trade away. Certainly guys in their top five of their system. Um, somebody did propose a trade that was like, we would have to give up Abner Uribe and Max Wagner to get Tyler O'Neill from the Cardinals. And this was proposed by a Cardinal media member. <laughs> sure. Was, yeah. Go for it. Absolutely. I was, was kind of like, you know, I admire your restraint in, in not trying to grab, you know, Tyler Black or something for Tyler O'Neill. Cause like, at least you have some sort of grasp on reality here, but uh yeah, I think this is probably, this bodes for them not making big moves, but I think we sort of expect that. We don't expect them to be the the team that goes all in at the deadline because, you know, that just rarely works out real well for the team that does it, you know? They just, that often uh, ends in heartache. So, and then you are trading away valuable pieces for the future doing it. So I, I would say that the responsibly word here is, the key word of the whole response is that he they want to do this responsibly, which means they're not going to be trading 
a bunch of future wins for a, a smaller amount of now wins because that's not how they roll. It's not. Um, when you go out and get a star, it's because you are competing with other teams where you need that to get you over the top to win your division. It's not right. anything other than that. It, it's not like if some people maybe will argue if you're a juggernaut and you're going going all in for the World Series, then you add it. You, go, you look to do that kind of thing. Nope, that's not right either because you already have a juggernaut. You don't need to add that. It's only if you are in a division where you need that to get over the top. They're not. They're not in that at all. They're in a division of garbage, and you don't need to go and add uh, a bunch of a bunch. You don't. Adding Tyler O'Neill doesn't do jack, <laughs> and even at, even adding Juan Soto doesn't really matter because the rest of the lineup is very get outable in the playoffs. So yeah, Ryan's right, and this is the smart way to do it. Like, if there was some juggernaut in the playoffs and they weren't wild card contenders, it would make sense to tear this team down and start over from scratch. Uh, likewise, they're they're in it, but adding one bat doesn't do jack to this team. They're they are not in the same class as the Braves or the Dodgers, and they might get lucky, but adding a bat doesn't help you get lucky. It just helps you like 1.01% get lucky. So, yeah, that that's right. This is just responsible, and, uh, yeah, th- that's what they should do. I will say, like, yeah, obviously they're going to play the guys coming off the IL are our midseason edition <laughs> card, <laughs> right? PR. But Good the job. problem for me is... They're all pitchers, and the offense. I like that Tyrone sticks. Taylor was what was thrown in there. Like, oh, we get Tyrone Taylor, pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. Tyrone, Ta- yeah, Tyrone Taylor's not good. So yeah, so yes, James is correct about that. Like, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Like, you couldn't add a bat that made a difference. You might as well be Tyrone Taylor. Maybe he'll hit 15 home runs in the second half. Who knows? I mean, he could mention like. Sal Freilich's gonna be up in the second half, right, Ryan? But like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like the, they're pretty content with what they have, and and like you guys were saying at the top of the show too, they've, they've been very good with what they've had. So maybe conceivably, like he has a point that they don't need to do much, but still, it's, it's less than inspiring. We should also remember that they lie. Um, mm-hmm. Also, that yeah. yes, yes, they also don't know exactly what's going to happen right they don't have perfect information they don't know what's going to be available and what opportunities might arise and what can happen i think if you if they do end up making an impact move it's almost certainly for somebody who has multiple years of control right like that would be the kind of impact move and that's probably what they're focused on right now is looking at those sorts of deals and seeing if they could get something sort of worked out that way and then when it comes down to the guys who are impending free agents coming into like after this year you worry about that more as the deadline is right there yeah so you never know sometimes an offer comes along that you just don't want to say no to and uh you feel is in the best long-term interest of your team i'm pretty convinced that's how the josh Hader thing happened last year was they just got an offer from the potters and they looked at it and they said this is too good for us to not pass up, which I know is going to make a lot of people scream at their radios right now. But like, I think that's probably the way they looked at it. And I think that, you know, so it's a situation where if something comes along that they just like too much, (laughs) they could end up doing it. But we're actually, that takes us right into the next question. So I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's almost like you can see the next question here, (laughs) Ryan. Uh, Jay Google's asking, 
are you shocked by the reports that David Stearns was maybe taken to task by Mark Adonazio over the hater trade? That's why he stepped down. So uh, background, John Heyman and I think others reported that David Stearns was uh, quote unquote chastised after the hater trade. Uh, that was during John Heyman's pretty much at this point annual piece on David Stearns heading to the Mets whenever the Brewers visit New York. Monthly, uh, monthly, James. Yes, monthly piece especially now. as the Mets have been terrible this year. Uh, so I, I guess, uh, Ryan, what do you make of that? That maybe David Stearns was kind of uh, dressed down, uh, if not for the trade itself, maybe for the reaction behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, I don't think no necessarily like dress down, um, but like Mark may have been annoyed at him. He probably was because it came blowing back mostly on him. It came really on Mark. Everybody interpreted it as Mark is being cheap. And so uh, I could see that being a case where it made Mark frosty in his, because it sounds like he talks to the GM on like a daily basis. Um, I could see that getting frosty and testy during the the Brewers' fall from grace in August last year. That wouldn't shock me at all. And maybe Stearns decided, hey, look, uh, this has run its course. I'm not going to be there long term. We already know I'm not signing an extension. And Matt is going to be taking over. So let's get that going right away. And maybe, like, because they also in this piece said that he was burned out. And he said that in the press conference, he was burned out. And we kind of laughed that off. But you know what? I think that it's more and more likely that that actually did play a role no, in this. That I he buy was, that. Yeah. I buy that he it. was just eager to have the year off and, you know, spend some time with his his kid. Because baseball executives, I don't know if you realize this, people who run baseball teams are like 90, 100-hour work week people. Like, it's... Mm-hmm they they it is a grueling grueling job and so for him to get to spend a year largely you know taking it off and and being with his kid being with his wife probably too good an opportunity to pass on and yes i 100 percent think they're going to hire david stearns to be the man on top of the pyramid at the mets they probably won't even have to get rid of their current guy they'll just put stearns right on top a lot of the guys who do the 100 hour week grind don't like spending time with their kids uh i want to just get that out there <laughs> i i know a lot of them i, I, I people who listen to this i know I'm an, I'm an attorney i know lots of people who do that some people like their kids some people not not so much um so there's that so the burnout thing strikes me as i don't like this situation but i suspect if you gave uh stearns an opportunity to work 100 hours a week at some other organization, he'd probably be fine. Um, I suspect he was chastised a lot for this, and I think the best way to explain it is the difference between Josh Hader and Hunter Renfro. Um, if you trade Hunter Renfro, who's like a two-and-a-half, three-win player at the deadline, no one gives a shit because it's Hunter Renfro. If it's Josh Hader, who people kind of like and is in the game in clutch situations every night, uh, it, it makes people a lot matter, and Mark Atanasio gets sworn at when he happens to be out and about in those rare instances when it's too hot and he needs his windows rolled down in the back of his fancy car. <laughs> so... Um, that I think really that's what it comes down to is you had a player who is X value, but also 
on everybody's mind versus somebody who's X value and you can do a deal with and and get some extra value for because he's a little overvalued and you get undervalued guys back. Like that that's what this comes down to. You made a risky play with a high profile guy that does not fly under the radar and, and uh, so you get yelled at for that. But um, in 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 rich uh, type A worker land, uh, I, I Stearns may have been burned out, but he's burned out because. Uh, he had extra scrutiny on him, and he thought it was a wise move to make a high-profile decision instead of a low-profile decision, and uh, he'll, he'll be fine and back doing grind work as soon as he gets off the team. <laughs> okay, that's actually the best explanation I've heard of like the the hater thing, the hater versus Renfro thing. That is the a, a completely great explanation of that. I 100% buy that. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, Yes, like that that gets to kind of the heart of it because yes, Hader and Renfro relatively close in, in value. Yeah. Renfro may even be a more valuable player, but you're right. No one gives a shit when you trade Hunter Renfro compared to the Josh Hader situation. Yep. People did grumble about the the Renfro trade, but nobody cares about it nearly as much because you know, he's not Josh Hader. He's not the the guy who has the the hair flapping in the wind and yep. the the closer music and all of that stuff. It's you're 100 percent right yeah, about that half, it's the star power of the deal half the grumblers thought he was a receiver and it was a packer news item so yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right last question this week let's wrap things up here john matt's asking are the brewers destined to be boring on the new effectively wild they brought up how there has been no correlation this year between a team's spending and their on-field success I know this isn't something new given how blah the Brewers last two and a half seasons have been, even while reaching relative success. So what will need to change to make ownership spend a little more to make the product on the field a little more exciting? Or are we destined to rooting for a franchise going forward that relies on its dedicated fan base while management exploits cheap labor and an analytics department making the team just slightly better than average? Uh, Paul, your thoughts on that one? They're not destined to be boring. Part of the problem that they have right now is that boring skills are undervalued um, and have been for a while. And part of that has been playing into what baseball has sort of geared towards. Like, like their pitching is good. Like Corbin Burns and Woodruff have been This year's different, but like high strikeout, high velocity starting pitchers and a good bullpen is kind of boring. A lot of guys strike out and not many balls are put in play. And on defense, or not, de- on, not defense, that's how that's the Brewers. Uh, on on offense, like run prevention turned out to be undervalued for them for a little bit, and, and then just power, power plus strikeouts. Like this year again is a little different, but the last few years it's been they either hit a home run or they strike out. And home runs are fun, but striking out for the first five innings of every game isn't fun. Um, that will likely change because baseball has changed drastically over the last year and a half. Uh, the pitch clock changes incentives and there's no shift, even though there was a prospectus article this week by Rob Maines about how it hasn't changed very much. It does still change incentives. Like it does still change the hitter profile that you want. The bounciness of the ball changes incentives. So you're not destined for this. This is actually just a bad coincidence of a smart front office playing into what baseball happens to be incentivizing at any given moment. But that's going to change quickly, and the Brewers will do good research and react to it. And hopefully it will be a bunch of fun play and good offense and more like the Melvin era, but maybe with better pitching. Uh, And we'll all have a lot more fun, but they're not destined for this at all. This is just 
them following the breadcrumbs as to where you should go and they just happen to not be that fun of a result but this changes all the time so it'll be it'll get better yeah i like the framing of that i think that oh, there's a lot of validity in that i actually wrote something down about this because i was thinking about this so much when i saw the question last night and i couldn't sleep because i was first night in a new bed and i always was terrible that first night um so basically i was thinking about this and i was trying to figure out i don't think spending makes a baseball team exciting i think that it can make an offseason interesting right i think that it can make it can it can do that um it can it can raise levels of interest and raise levels of expectation um but really more than anything i think what makes a baseball team exciting is winning and particularly winning more than you're expected to win 2017 2018 were thrilling seasons because we weren't necessarily expecting to be as good as we were that was the team outperformed expectations and so like that made it thrilling there was also like the the players on that team everybody kind of took them to their hearts because like you had some some guys who like to clown it up in front of the uh in front of the cameras keon broxton orlando arcia um eric thames Kratz, yeah yeah, Eric Kratz, there were guys who liked to ham it up in front of the cameras. And so that gave the team, uh, 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 Jesus, Aguiar, like th- this gave the team a personality. But I think more than anything, the, the reason people took that team to their heart was because they were winning a lot more than what they expected. You know, or or like Christian Yelich was having this MVP season in 2018 not out of nowhere, but vastly exceeding expectations, right? I think this is a lot about expectations. I also think star performances on offense helps a lot here. Star performances on offense will drive interest in a baseball team in a way that other things won't. And I think in that sense, we have a potential solution here in Jackson Churio. Like Churio is the kind of guy that if he, uh, right now he's sort of just, you know, being a solid player for a 19-year-old, a good player for a 19-year-old in AA, as the youngest player in AA, but he's not putting up, like, the huge star numbers at the moment. If he gets back to sort of doing what he was doing last year, where he was putting up huge, massive star numbers, um, I think that could bring the excitement. There's few things in the game nowadays that gets fans more excited than a young, especially star offensive player right a guy yeah, who's excited ellie yeah exactly a- ellie and you can go through like all of the guys like last year it was julio right last mm-hmm. year was julio rodriguez it's Acuna also before that and all of those guys yeah it's colton Kowser this year too like uh or sorry not colton Kowser. um uh carol uh corbin, corbin carol corbin yeah. carol yeah the other cc um so i think that if you get star level performances from offensive players especially that helps to make a team more exciting so no i think i totally agree with paul here for slightly different reasons like (laughs) they're not destined to be excited or to be boring um but you do sort of fall into those ruts sometimes and they're in sort of a rut right now which makes sense they're they're trying to do this thing where they're transitioning from one core of young players that they had in that 2018 to 2022 window and they're trying to transfer to the next core right they're trying to make that move 
And that's never going to be an easy process. And it's going to come with a lot of growing pains and a lot of grumbling and a lot of unhappiness, especially when the team is not out there putting up huge amounts of wins, you know, when they're somewhat disappointing. And that's, I think it's fair to say the teams have been somewhat disappointing over the last two years. So not 2021. I would disagree with him. He goes back that far. 2021 was magical um, until everybody got hurt in September and then they fizzled out of the playoffs. Most of 2021 was pretty magical, though. I mean, that team was on a 100-win pace for most of the year. So that was a great team. But the last couple of years, yeah, they've, they've had their issues, obviously. All right. That'll do it for questions this week. Thank you, everybody who sent one in. As a reminder, you get question priority every week here if you sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Uh, Even if you're not a patron, you can help support us another way. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to us. Give us a five-star review there. And while you're there, please be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss an episode. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube now and listen to our episodes and clips there. Just look for the account at MKE Tailgate on YouTube. Uh, That'll do it for this week. Lots to talk about as we head into the uh, last week for the All-Star break. We'll be back next week here to recap everything that happens against the uh, Cubs and the Reds. Hopefully, Brewers kind of create some space between themselves and Cincinnati before the All-Star break. We'll see what happens there. Uh, But we will be back here next week to cover it all. Thanks, everybody. Have a happy fourth and have a good And play Immaculate Grid. Fingers crossed that worked. Okay. Recording in progress. Uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now we'll go in three, two, one.